0: book one chapter two section one of tasker jevons the real story by mason clare this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine book one my book chapter two section one he recovered the brilliant orange of his jaundice faded to lemon and the lemon to a sallow tint that cleared rapidly as it was flooded by his flush i did not realize then what sources he was drawing on looking back on it all i am amazed at my own stupidity i was of course aware that viola was sorry for him but i might have known that a girl's pity was not a stimulant that would keep a man like jevons going for very long i am sure he would never have lowered himself by any appeal to it why the bare idea of pity would have been intolerable to him bursting as he was with vitality and invading with the courage and energy and genius of a conqueror a world that was not his he laid before me very soon what i can only call his plan of campaign journalism with him was a purely defensive operation but the novel and the short story were his attack the work that viola had typed for him was his first novel he had dug himself in very securely that winter and each paper that he had occupied and left behind him was a line of trenches that shifted nearer and nearer towards the desired territory he didn't begin his assault on the public before he had secured his retreat i know i am writing about a man whom many people still consider a great novelist and a great playwright god knows i don't want to disparage him but to me what he has written matters so little it has no interest for me except as his vehicle the vehicle in which he arrived which brought him to his destination quicker perhaps than any other which he could have chosen his talent was so adroit that he might have chosen almost any other chance and a happy knack and a habit of observation determined his selection of the written word compared with the spectacle of his arrival what he has written is neither here nor there what i have written myself is neither here nor there for the purposes of this history it counts only as the means which enabled me to witness the last act of his drama that is why i say so much about his adventure his campaign his business and so little about his books in this i am adopting his own values almost his own phrases he wanted most awfully to arrive how far he took himself seriously as a writer nobody will ever know viola was convinced and always will be convinced that he was a great genius there's no doubt he traded with her on her conviction he wanted most awfully to arrive but more than anything he wanted viola still he was too clever i think ever to have quite convinced himself his adventure then began with his reporting his campaign with his journalism and his earlier novels his business was to follow later in the long period of peace and prosperity he saw ahead of him his first novel he told me was calculated deliberately to startle and arrest to hit the public rather unpleasantly in the eye that he said was the way to be remembered it wouldn't sell he didn't want it to sell what he wanted first was to gain a position then to consolidate it then to build he talked like the consummate architect of his own fortunes his second novel would be designed deliberately to counteract the disagreeable effects of his first why i asked counteract them because he said if he went on being disagreeable he'd alienate the very sections of the public he most wished to gain his retirement was simply the preparation for the grand attack it was in his third novel that he meant still deliberately to come into his kingdom and his power and his glory forever and ever amen his third novel, he declared, would sell, and it would be his best. On that utterly secure and yet elevated basis, he could build afterwards pretty much as he pleased. I asked him if it wasn't a mistake to put his best so early in the series. Wouldn't it be more effective if he worked up to it? But he said no. He'd thought of that. There wasn't anything he hadn't thought of. That third novel was to start his big sales. And the worst of a big sale was this that when you'd caught your public you were bound to go on giving them the sort of thing you'd caught them with. Therefore, he'd be jolly careful to start them with the sort of thing he happened to like himself. Otherwise, he'd have to spend the rest of his life knuckling under to them. He could get a cheaper glory if he chose to try for it, but a cheaper glory wouldn't satisfy him. That was why he decided to make for the highest point he could reach in the beginning, so that his very fallings off would be glorious, and would pay him as no gradual working up and up could possibly be made to pay besides he wanted his glory and his pay quick he couldn't afford to wait a month longer than his third novel as for the different quality and the glory it would be years before anybody but himself could tell the difference and by the time they spotted him he'd be at another game a game in which he defied anybody to catch him out he'd be writing plays all this he told me sitting in an armchair in my rooms with his feet up on another chair and smiling smiling with one side of his mouth while with the other he smoked innumerable cigarettes i can see his blue eyes twinkle still through the cigarette smoke that obscured him that night he had got down to solid business it was quite clear that jevons's business was the business of the speculator who loves the excitement of the risks he takes i remember exhorting him to prudence i said this isn't art it's speculation you're taking considerable risks my friend he took his cigarette out of his mouth dispersed the smoke and looked at me very straight and without a twinkle i've got to make money he said and to make it soon i should be taking worse risks if i didn't it's marvelous how he's pulled it off just as he said dates and all for he named the dates for each stage of his advance that was in march about a week before easter nineteen six the next day i went up to hampstead towards tea-time to see how viola was getting on i didn't expect to see jevons there for he'd left he told me in a burst of confidence he'd had to he couldn't stand it it was getting too risky he was living now in rooms in bernard street not far from mine at hampstead i was told that miss thesiger was out she'd gone for a walk on the heath with mr jevons but they were coming in at half-past four for tea if i'd step upstairs into the sitting-room i'd find her brother captain thesiger waiting there i stepped upstairs and found captain thesiger i was glad to find him for i don't mind owning that by this time i was getting somewhat uneasy about viola it was all very well for viola to nurse jevons through his jaundice she might have done that out of pure humanity but she had no business to be going for walks with a little bounder even the charm of his conversation and his personality and it had a charm couldn't conceal the fact that he was a little bounder why in moments of excitement he had gestures that must have made her shudder all down her spine and more than once i have known his h's become fugitive though on the whole i must say he was pretty careful and viola was letting herself in for him in sheer innocence and recklessness she was letting herself in i felt that if ever it should come to getting her out i would be glad of an ally now that i saw what viola was capable of i began to feel some sympathy with her people at canterbury who had tried so ineffectually to hold her in there was nothing ineffectual about reggie thesiger i suppose he would have been impressive anyway from the sheer height and breadth of him his visible and palpable perfection but what had me was not his perfection but the odd likeness to his sister, which he combined and in some mysterious way reconciled with it. His face had taken over not only the dominant and defiant look of hers, exaggerated by his sheer virility, but it had the very tricks of her charm, even to the uptilted lines of her mouth. His little black moustache followed and gave accent to them. I said to myself, Here is a young man who will not stand any nonsense he greeted me with a joy that i could not account for all at once in an entire stranger and it was mixed with a childlike and candid surprise i wondered what i had done that he should be so glad to see me his manner very soon left me in no doubt as to what i had done i had brought the most intense relief to the captain's innocent mind i do not know by what subtle shades he managed to convey to me that, compared with a queer chap I so easily might have been, he found me distinctly agreeable. It was obvious that I existed for him only as the chap, the strange and legendary chap that Viola had taken up with, and that in this capacity he, to his own amazement, approved of me. I gathered that, knowing his sister, he had feared the worst, and that the blessed relief of it was more than he could bear if he didn't let himself go a bit he had quite evidently come or had been sent to see what viola was up to possibly he may have had in his mind the extraordinary treatment i had received from his father and he may have been anxious to atone any relief that i might have brought to captain thesiger was surpassed by the reassurance that i took from my first sight of him it was as if i had instantly argued to myself this is the sort of thing that has produced viola this is the sort of man she has been brought up with when viola thinks of men it is this sort of man she is thinking of it is therefore inconceivable that tasker jevons should exist for her otherwise than as a curious intellectual freak even her perversity couldn't no it could not fall so far from this familiar perfection though captain thesiger's perfection might not help me personally it did dispose of little jevons looking at him i felt as if my uneasiness you may say my jealousy of jevons it almost amounted to that had been an abominable insult to his sister reggie he is my brother-in-law now and i cannot go on calling him captain thesiger reggie was good enough to say that he had heard of me from his sister his voice conveyed without any vulgar implication an acknowledgment of my right to be heard of from her but of course he went on agreeably he had heard of me in any case he supposed everybody had my celebrity was so immature that i should not have recognized this allusion to it if reggie had not gone on even more genially he said he liked awfully the things i did in the morning standard most especially and enthusiastically he liked my account of the big boxing match at olympia you can see it was written by a chap who knew what he was talking about i had to confess that tasker jevons was the chap who wrote it reggie quite prettily abashed tried to recover himself and plunged further he brought up from his memory one thing after another and all his reminiscences were of jevons he had mixed us up hopelessly as people did in those days they knew i was associated with the morning standard and that was all they knew about me if they wanted to recall anything striking i had done it was always jevons they remembered Poor Reggie was so inveterate in his blundering that after his fourth desperate effort he gave it up. His memory, he said, was rotten. I said on the contrary, his memory for Jevons was perfect, and he looked at me charmingly and laughed. While he was laughing, Viola came in. She had Jevons with her. It was evident that neither of them was prepared for Reggie Thesiger. They had let themselves in with a latch key and come straight upstairs without encountering Mrs. Pavitt. At the sight of her brother, Viola betrayed a feeling I should not have believed possible to her. For the first, and I may say the last time in my experience of her, I saw Viola show funk. It was the merest tremor of her tilted mouth, the flicker of an eyelash, an almost invisible veiling of her brilliant eyes. I do not think it would have been perceptible to anybody who watched her with a less tense anxiety than mine. But it was there, and it hurt me to see it there was one person only one person in the world whom viola was afraid of and that was her brother reggie she was afraid of him because she loved him he was the person in the world that she loved best before before the catastrophe and this fear of hers that i alone saw reggie most certainly had not seen it ought to have warned me if nothing else had it probably would have warned me but for what she did next but for her whole subsequent behaviour she broke loose from Reggie, who had closed on her with a shout of, Hello, Vivi, and an embrace. She broke loose from Reggie and turned to me, all laughing and rosy from his impact, with an outstretched hand and a voice that swept to me and rippled with a sort of nervous joy. And she said, Oh, Wally, this is nice of you. You'll stop for tea. Her mouth said that, but her eyes, they had grown suddenly pathetic, said a lot more. They said, Don't go, Wally please don't go whatever you do don't leave me alone with him at least i can see now that that's what they were saying and even at the time i saw on her dear face the same blessed relief at finding me there that i had seen on reggie's neither reggie nor i mind you had seen jevons yet i am speaking of fractions of seconds of time and he wasn't actually in the room but viola and i were aware of him outside if he had not paused on the landing to dispose of his overcoat and his hat and his stick, their entrance would have been simultaneous. That pause saved them. His stick slipped and tumbled down on the landing with a clatter. We heard him prop it up again. Our eyes met. I'm afraid mine said, what are you going to do now? Then he came in, and I saw the gallant Reggie take the shock of him. I don't suppose he had ever before met anything like Jevons. I mean, really met him at close quarters in his life but he was gallant and he had his face well under control only the remotest vanishing quiver and twinkle betrayed the extremity of his astonishment viola with an admirable air of detachment from jevons introduced them i don't know how she did it it was as if without any actual repudiation she declined to hold herself responsible for jevons appearance for the extraordinary little bow he made for his jerky aplomb and for his glad to meet you captain and for the rest she just handed him over to her brother and trusted reggie to be decent to him i had wondered are they going to let on that they've been out together she cannot she cannot own up to that but how are they going to get out of it and will he betray her i saw how they were going to get out of it if they didn't say in as many words that they'd met on the doorstep they implied it in everything they said they asked each other polite questions all to the tune of what have you been doing since i last saw you to convey the impression that they had met thus casually after a long interval jevons played up to her well almost too well so well in fact did he play that not long afterwards i was to ask myself was this perfection the result of collusion had they anticipated just such a sudden disconcerting encounter had they thought it all out and arranged with each other beforehand how they should behave, I don't know. I never cared to ask her. End of book one, chapter two, section one, recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.